Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is part two of episode 115 of the Distraction Pieces podcast, Satin Lizard Lounge special. And that's a lot to get around. Imagine me choosing how much of that to try and fit on the Polaroid that comes with each episode. Um, It wasn't easy. Um, And I had to leave everyone's names off because I couldn't get them all in there. But hopefully you enjoyed part one with Rob Alton with Maria Ferguson and with Raymond Amphibus. And I'm hoping you're going to enjoy part two as much, if not more. These are lovely. I really enjoyed these chats. Uh, they're brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com, of course. In this episode, I think it's in this episode or was it in the last one? No, it's in this one. Jack brings up uh, B. Dolan. Um, and we talk a little bit about B. Dolan and Sage Francis, who smashed it at the Edinburgh Fringe this year um, and have been killing it for a minute. They're both speech development records artists so check them out online and then if you like what you hear come and buy their gold vinyl their their midnight blue vinyl i've got cds merch all sorts of stuff um at speechdevelopmentrecords.com right let's just get on with this because these are quite long episodes part two is holly mcnish jack rook and cecilia knapp they're all fantastic if you're listening on on ACAST, then there'll be links to the pieces that we're talking about, links to their social media, all that good stuff. Um, if not, then you can just do a bit of Googling. Hey, it's pretty easy. Yeah, enjoy the Satin Lizard Lounge, Distraction Pieces Podcast, Episode 115, Part 2, Special, Best of All, Spoken Word, Stage, Stuff. Yep. Right, I'm here right now with Holly McNish. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm it's lovely good. to have you here. Um, we don't get to hang out or chat enough, really. Yeah, not really ever. I think considering we've been on the scene together for a long time, oh, oh, we've only done one gig together. Yeah, I think so, in, in Brighton. In Brighton, at, at, at Hammer and Tongue, which is a fantastic uh, night run by Rosie Carrick. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, but you're, really you're like my main direct messenger on, on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. We chat and interact. <laughs> yeah, um, it. It's really interesting because that gig, because you, you, you're also someone that I have to resist being a hipster about the most because every, at least once a month, I'll have someone message me going, have you heard of this girl? And yeah. it'll be it'll be one of your poems. And I always want to say, mate, I played her on my radio show two years ago. I've been I've known it's about the same her for a long poem. time. It and keeps all this. going round. It's not even and changing that, the but poem. But it's still it's beautiful <laughs> that you seem to you've got poems that seem to resonate over and over. So yeah. So, so, so how's it all been? What was your kind of journey into spoken word and in, into poetry? I've just always loved it. I've always been obsessed with it. I yeah. don't know why. Not spoken word at all. Right. I've not been. I only started doing that when I was like. 22, 20, yeah. even maybe 25, I think. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, like, I'd never heard of any of it at yeah. all. Yeah. Lots of people are like, oh, do you like John Cooper Clark? Is that inspired you? I've like, never heard of him but until I, like, started doing yeah. it as a job. Yeah. Um, 
There's yeah, so just, many people I'm like that with that, that when I started, I didn't know of anyone. No, now no I'm into them, but you can't really say they influenced you. Yeah, no, not at all. And it was mainly music and I was printing out music lyrics. I much preferred lyrics to like the tunes. Half yeah. the time I can't remember what the band's called, nothing, but I'll remember like a few yeah, lyrics. Um, but I always just written poems, always written my diaries and poems. I'm bringing out a new book next year that's going to have poems from the age of eight up to the age of 33 in it. So. Oh, wow. That's yeah, amazing. Quite, seeing how like my opinion about, I don't know, there's one I wrote about God when I was nine and then another one when I was 32 so I'm like trying to put them all together. Oh that's amazing I love that as an idea because again that is the it's it's another thing that you have to suffer from as someone who's recording your thoughts in poetry in pieces is the fact that as humans we're meant to develop and change and grow our our ideas yet you'll, you'll have someone who's heard a poem of yours from four or five years ago and it means everything to them that when they meet you they're then kind of trying to hold you to that and it's like yeah, well, yeah it, you know i i did think that at some point uh-huh. and there'll normally be elements you still agree and... but your opinion can change totally. and develop yeah so. i've got one like that called um cupcakes and scones which is which is online and i agree with like the sort of fundamental idea of it but there's bits in it that i'm like oh, no, yeah i'm not so annoyed about that anymore like yeah. i'm not so and i wrote it when i was about 23 i think that's the main one that i keep thinking should i should i take these ones off or no, I'll, yeah. just, I'll just leave them up. It's sort of like having a diary, but that everyone's read. Yeah, and then that you're everyone gets about to see something. and judge you on. Yeah, and, and also, <laughs> like, the comments on YouTube make me change my mind sometimes. Not about everything, but I don't know about... So, like, in, in um, Nobody Told Me, the book about being a parent, I wrote this thing about there was, like, breastfeeding voucher scheme given to, like, basically trying to, I think, bribe, but encourage women to breastfeed by giving them free clothes vouchers. Right. And I wrote this, like, scathing poem about it. And then went to a talk and someone was talking about it and sort of convinced me the opposite. I was like, yeah. oh, Damn, I've oh, just attacked that. I think that's <laughs> important book, though. I think, right. I think it's important to have um, conviction in your beliefs but not be married to them to the extent that you can't be educated or change yeah, them or exactly. develop them. Well, everything else about us changes, doesn't it? Like skin changes every day, hair yeah. changes. So the fact, like the idea that you wouldn't change your mind the whole way through your life, that would be terrible. Yeah, c- c- completely. Um the, We've touched on on parenthood, I guess. There and uh, and mother and, and, and motherhood has been quite a key part in your in your career. I mean, obviously in your life, <laughs> that's kind of a given. That's how really that's how families to write work. About motherhood, so I had a baby. But, <laughs> but yeah, in in your career, it has been a key point, and it's something that um, at first it almost scared me off of your work for, for a little while. Is yeah, I knew there was a lot sense. of stuff that, as a male, I felt, oh man, and and. That first gig, even though I'd become a fan by then, that first gig together or that one gig together was so lovely for me because even though I was performing and I was aware and a fan of your work, I still felt during your set I'm probably going to feel a bit guilty about having a penis. Um, <laughs> and it, not, and it wasn't you? the case at all. No, no that was good. it. It, was, was it wasn't the say. case at all. There was so much. And the piece that stopped my kind of fear of feeling out of place, that it's not work that's, that's for me, was seeing on YouTube um, – I can't think of what it was from. I think it might have been from a bang said the gun thing, but um, uh, your piece Transformers. Oh yeah, it was like um, bolting around a like in a in a in a ring, in a boxing ring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was absolutely amazing. It blew me away, and it made me realise right, it is discussing topics that maybe I can't directly relate to, but it's helping me relate to them. Do you know yeah. what I mean? R- rather than me feeling, oh, this isn't my area, I should stay out of this. Yeah, it's totally. educating me on an area that isn't mine and yeah. I kind of yeah I really enjoyed that and that was what yeah I was pleased to to yeah to get past that initial thought of if I'm not a mum 
or a woman yeah, totally. or something I can't relate I think that's you know? so nice though because I feel like it happens in poetry more than other things like I don't know like we you know we watch like crime programs or murder mysteries not because yeah. we've got any experience of being a murderer but yeah. you, like it's not I don't I don't read books just about things that I've experienced. Yeah. It's probably the opposite. Yeah, completely. actually, you want to like see a different world or get into someone else's mind. So, yeah, it's funny when but it's it sort really of promoted weird, as a like a book for mums or it's like which obviously you know if you can relate to maybe like four hundred fifty pages of it for yeah. someone that's not a parent <laughs> yeah. would get a bit dull. But yeah, yeah you want to know about things that yeah. you've got not going to experience like definitely practically personally. Yeah. Completely. Have you have you written, or in fact, let's just ignore that. Have you written? Can we discuss the kind of? As I said, motherhood has been a key part in a lot of your writing. In yeah. a lot of people are relating a lot of your your, your fan base and and, sh- and shows you'll do. Yeah, and totally. the way your stuff is spread online a lot. There's a lot of of, of mothers a lot and of parents and in there. But let's kind of we will get back to that. But let's talk about how it affects you as a as an artist and and a performer because you're. A gigging and performing spoken word artist, and yeah. obviously have to do book tours when you're releasing books and stuff like that. But you've got a family, and like, how does that all balance? Like, and how yeah, do you well, make it, that balance? It, it doesn't always. <laughs> like, it's it's just because there's other people, really. Mm. Like, my daughter's dad's uh, amazing and, yeah. and does half the childcare. Yeah. Like, if that wasn't the case, I'd. I'd be buggered basically yeah, no yeah, chance yeah um so that like his mum my mum friends as well it's just it's all free childcare. Yeah. basically i basically feel like i've only got a career and i can only earn money because there's other people basically helping me for free i don't mean that this about is, her dad because yeah. obviously like we're the parents that's he's like meant to yeah yep, that's but not grandmothers grandfathers oh, I friends I destroyed a mate of mine because he once said oh i can't come out tonight i'm babysitting yeah, and totally. i had to point out it's his children <laughs> yeah, i was like it's not babysitting if it's your kids <laughs> no, mate i'm really sorry but you can't no, <laughs> you can't not, refer exactly. to it as that no but yeah it's just it's, it's free labor from everyone else mainly I mean, grandmothers and you know even like yesterday i dropped my daughter off at a friend's house for breakfast and yeah. then have to run and that happens a lot i mean it's it, it's it's a massive thing and it's a massive thing that you're kind of blessed with i i, I like the term blessed because i'm not particularly religi- religious but it's a massive <laughs> thing that you're blessed with in that way because yeah uh, for if, if you don't have that accessibility or access to to free childcare, oh, you can't man you can't do it or you, i you, just you, wouldn't you, make any money your job be becomes mum or it can become mum, totally. which is, can be crippling, yeah. I'd imagine. Again, yeah. it's, it's one of the most rewarding jobs in the world, but equally, it, it must mean a lot to you that you also can be be Holly the writer and Holly the, yeah. the performer and all these other things, as well as the beautiful gift of being Holly the mother. Yeah, you know, it is a beautiful gift, it's but it's also yeah. <laughs> it's also tough. But like in the, I was panicking. Like she's just back at school this week, actually, oh, course, and the yeah. holidays. Have been brilliant. Yeah. Like not having to worry about the school run is amazing. Yeah. And she's been yeah. on tour. And now it was harder when she was little, but now she's sick. She can sit for an hour through my set. Like she came I was gonna to s- 10 say gigs you take her on the road. On the road all the time. Well, yeah. She likes chilling out, gets to sit in the car, listen to music, stare out the window, look at lots of yeah. hills up north and in yeah. Scotland and stuff. And then like the opportunities are amazing. Yeah. You now we've gone to literature festivals and it's just annoying now that. You can't like get time off school to do that, even if yeah. she would be sitting through three days of like of, literature, of poetry, which I yeah, of literature. reckon would be pretty good for education. Yeah, that's kind of a decent education, <laughs> well, I'd get isn't it? Fined. It, it, it? It made me ch- 
a chuckle after one s- s- summer, it seemed. Every person I caught up with um, was talking about what a great time they had with your daughter. R- rather than mentioning <laughs> you or your sets or your performance, they were like, oh, me and Holly's talk, we got on so well. I was like, all right, there's, there's, she's not the start. That's not all you booked. Don't, don't just try and book Holly to get to hang That's out with so the family. That's so nice as well because I get so worried. Some places I turn up, it's amazing. And like literally I'll stand on the stage and then make sure there's like the aisle between the two if it's in like a theatre setting. And then she'll like sit under the table basically so I can see her. Otherwise yeah. I can't if like I can't see her then I can't concentrate. Yeah, people yeah. offer to like take her out and, like, no chance. So she just sits like mainly watching stuff or listening to like a BFG on a headset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it is mental sometimes when people look at you a little bit funny. Yeah. I think seriously you've booked me to read a book about parenthood. Yeah. And the fact that I've got my kid with me or like frowning about yeah. Yeah. like leave it out, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Sort of yeah. maybe if it was another book I'd get it, but this one Yeah. It's a book that's about parenthood. A, a lot of your most famous pieces are about parenthood. So you can't yeah. be too shocked when no, it's got, like yeah. you've got a child. I know someone did ask that though. <laughs> you've got a child with someone you. did ask if I've actually yeah. got a kid. It's like I'm not really theatrical enough to like not actually just write about my own life. Yeah, I I, I, I like the fact that you can quite proudly say that, you know, every available day is bring your child to work day when childcare is expensive. And if you have the option of bringing your child to work, then it's like, well, yeah, that's not some kooky little thing that we do once a year. It's like, well... That's the society we live in now. That's it. I and if you to want to be on call all the time, then it's got to be like that. It's not even for the money as well. I can either like, like this weekend, I've got a gig in in Birmingham. I've got then a gig in Bristol and they're on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. I can either like, her dad's away doing a festival at the minute. So I can either like leave her with someone and yeah. not see her for the weekend or, or you can have take a little her, road trip. Take her to it and my, yeah. my, my job. It's not like, well, you know, like it's not like you're working all the time. It's yeah. pretty much an hour, maybe with a book signing, two hours of work. Yeah. And the rest of it, the whole time you're travelling or can go and see places or maybe pop in and go to the beach. We've done quite a lot of the North East quite often. Yeah. So It's a beautiful coast up the North East as oh, well. It's lo- I've got so many gigs up there. I don't get I don't really? Really get booked in the South England anymore. Really? That's <laughs> like, strange. You see, a I, few in I Bristol, never get but gigs mainly in, the North. In the North East. And I recently had a, a week spare and I just took myself away and just drove around the, the North East Isn't coast. Just with no... It's the first time I've ever had l- l- literally no schedule or plan where I was going yeah. and I'd post pictures online and people would go, oh, oh where was that? And it had occurred to me, I've no idea. I didn't look at a map. <laughs> yeah. I didn't look at it. I was like, I just stopped because it was pretty. It's like, I honestly don't yeah. know where Do you know what was, I but... do with that? I had exactly the same yesterday. <laughs> going back from um, Snowdonia, I, have to dri- I had to drive through last night and it was like a five-hour drive yeah. home from seven till about midnight. And I was just going through the Snowdonia oh, mountains yeah. and I was on my own in the car and it was sort of getting dark. And I was like, okay, this is quite, it's quite rural, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Um, but I just Small kept coming up to these amazing well. looking little villages that I thought, I'd love to, I'd love to bring my daughter here. And there were some that had, I could see that, sounds stupid, but like a little pub that had a trampoline in the garden. I thought, yeah. how cool would this be? Yeah, so I took my phone out and the sat nav bit and just took a screenshot amazing. so I could see where the dot was. Yeah. I was like, great. Then I can like, find my way back. Now again. you can return. It's like Hansel and Gretel, but with a sat nav. <laughs> what you need to do is make sure you save that them photos in a folder or something. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to find them again. You'll be like scrolling through rages. I'm sure I took a picture mountain. of a dot and a map. And, um, exactly. Back to your kind of of work. Your I would say in recent years because it, it's a weird one. You kind of came up on the scene just as I was 
stopping doing the bulk of my gigs on the spoken word okay. scene. So we didn't cross over that much. But yeah. you jumped out instantly because I'd say you and maybe Sully Brakes and one or two others are the poets that have gone viral the most, as as yeah. gross as a term that is. But it's, 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 you are two that seem to have just had pieces. And, and we were discussing before uh, we came on, it tends to be... T- 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 two pieces in particular, um, that just keep mathematics and embarrassment that keep <laughs> that keep coming up. But it's I, good because it means that they're so relatable. And yeah, but that's bad, isn't it? Because they're both about like one's about sort of racism, yeah, they're and quite the, negative, and the other one's about being shamed for like feeding your kids. So I'm sort of thinking, right, the day that those poems stop getting shared, yeah, great. It's a good thing. But again, the the positive thing is they're they're the more they're shared, the more they're educating it's similar yeah, but so. B. Dolan has got a, poli- a piece called Film the Police which yeah. he released five years ago now I think and, still... and it just becomes every year or so it becomes yeah, so course. relevant about filming the police and, and, and having that accountability yeah. um, but let's start on, on on mathematics and what I like about it again it's on YouTube um, and what I like about it is it's not like in no way is it does it feel like it was ever expected to go viral or no, intended? It's you in a dark setting performing a yeah. poem. It's not some big corporate thing. And it's weird with poetry now. Often you'll have stuff that particular words will come up and you can tell that this is really made for Facebook that and they, people to yeah, yeah. connect to and share amongst yeah, and things like that. Totally. Whereas that's what I loved about mathematics and that's why I still love receiving it now is people will send it to me and go, have you heard this? Like, yeah, I have. <laughs> and I'm so glad I have because, do you know what I mean? It feels like it, there was never that thought there when you recorded it no, or made it. No, was it. just like, like all of the stuff I only started doing on YouTube when I, I was already doing enough gigs to, I had, I had my daughter and I had a full-time job. I think, no, I went back part-time yeah. um, in an architecture centre and I was doing poetry part-time and teachers at gigs used to say to me a lot, is that one online? Yeah. Basically, because they wanted to use it, so that that's it. That's the only reason. Like, I never, I always had the thing that once I started doing gigs, I would only do a gig if I was asked to do it. Yeah. Like, I never went to round. I went to two open mic nights, I think, and then nothing else. So it was a thing. Like, if someone wants to hear me talk, then I'll go. Yeah. But I don't really want to assume that you'd want me to. And it's yeah. the same, same with YouTube. It's just people ask me for specific poems. And it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a hugely powerful th- thing that as well, particularly on the teachers' front, because. I've had that a few times, and it's really exciting because the fact is, when I was at school, you wouldn't have anything there was, like that. There was and no internet, was people, there? There was nothing. Kids watching a poem by you or by Kate Tempest or by anyone else—it's a million times more relatable than trying to get their head around the classics and things like yeah. that. Which, again, we should be trying to push them towards. Yeah, I think so too. But it's the kind of walk before you run type thing. Yeah, if you can hear something like Embarrassed, which is about immigration and the misconception of immigration and 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 the myths and the, the stupid th- things that are out there that are out there that, that are common sense. It's like they're not common sense. You've just not questioned them. Yeah, so totally. you get away with not having to justify them because you can say, "Oh, it's common sense, isn't it?" Yeah, like, well, and no, they do say things like that, don't they? Oh, yeah. one and one, one for one. Yeah. One in, one out. It's yeah. Like, it's, no, that's not how it works. So, work. But the beauty of that is then things like that going into school, it's, it, as much as, as it's exciting and instant to go viral in that way, the end result is a long-term game because this is the kids that in four or five years yeah. are going to be influenced well, in they're society. They're kind of the important so, ones, aren't yeah. they, to try and like reach out to in any way. I've, I've had my... like I've had... Workshops cancelled, though, in yeah. schools because that poem and a poem called um, 
British National Breakfast, which is like yeah. the cleanest poem I've got. There's no swearing. There's nothing which is like, you, like it's, there's goddamn in mathematics, yeah. which you know. But there's nothing in this one. And a few teachers have said, "I'm so sorry. I really wanted you to come in because of because our school's got quite a few problems with racism and mm-hmm. sort of um, all these all these ideas." But as soon as the head teacher or the deputy had to seen British National Breakfast, they not let me it, in. Yeah. So it depends if you get let in. But then is that a catch twenty two that the places that let me in? I don't know. It's still hopefully giving something. Like mathematics was a li- summary of research essay I was reading when I was doing a masters. Yeah. So that's what I thought I was going to go oh, into. Wow. I was studying economics as my yeah. masters, and yeah, so it's funny. Like on on mathematics, I've got like. Oh, obviously poems online about like relationships and sex and, and being female and quite a yeah. lot of the comments or emails that people send me it's like alright love like I don't mind your poems about this but like stick to subjects that you know Yeah. and it's really it's like what, why are you assuming like, I don't think I yeah. know everything about immigration yeah. but like I studied it as like a specialist like forced migration thing for a yeah. master like, read a yeah. lot about yeah. it Yeah, it's like, um, I, I know, know more about that than sex I'd here. imagine yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great though and uh, I mean, we'll get to. I want to end on 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 you performing a piece, and the piece we're going to go for is embarrassed, and uh, and that's one that, as said, seems to grow and grow. And there was I saw you did an amazing um, a, a video version of it that was on a Channel Four um, yeah, on show Random Acts, on Random Acts, which yeah. is fantastic sh- oh. a show. And watching it again, it was is one of them that excited me because it's another one that I've had sent a few times, <laughs> and then when they said, "Oh, Holly Manish is on," I was like. Oh yeah, I know this piece, but it was new. Do you know what yeah, I mean? It yeah. was shot so well, it was so powerfully. I was like, "It's going to go again. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's going to go again." And sure enough, like in a day or two, it was on YouTube or, yeah, that or Facebook. Gone and, more, like that's been shared more than anything else. Like but, just in the last two weeks, it's like seven million times. I think so, it's been. So let's kind of uh, before you end on performing it, uh, let's discuss it as, as as a topic and as a piece. What kind of inspired you? Um, because basically, it's about. A, a breastfeed in, in public, isn't it? Yeah, the, I was, li- it was literally like with loads of the poems, I was like sitting on the toilet with my daughter. So I was yeah. <laughs> I was in a cafe and then my daughter needed to feed and I was on my own. Only if I was on my own that I yeah. felt nervous about doing Conscious, stuff. Yeah. So I went into a public toilet in Cambridge and just sat and fed her and then she fell asleep like often babies do afterwards. And then because she was sleeping, like I didn't... I never wanted to move that much when she was sleeping. Yeah. I just don't want to wake her up and you don't really get any rest apart from that. Yeah, so I yeah. just sat on the toilet. So I was, li- I was literally in a toilet cubicle for like 45 minutes, I reckon. That's crazy. When I'd been in a cafe it? and I was sitting there thinking, like, I, I know that I'm quite embarrassed to do this, but I'm like angry that I even feel like that. To, and yeah. then I started thinking about everything, thinking how, like in my diaries I'd written, I feel a bit like a cow when I started feeding her in hospital. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, it's society that's made me immediately compare myself to a cow rather than a human. Yeah, like the fact yeah. that I genuinely thought that and carried on breastfeeding. But that was that was the comparison that I had. And I was like, this is, it's not my fault. Yeah. This is totally where I live. Just got angrier and wrote wrote that poem on the toilet. Amazing. Like on my on my phone. Oh, oh, well, we're going to end on, on, that, on that now. Before we do, again, if you listen to this on ACAST, We'll have links you can click. But if you're not, you could just go on YouTube. But I do recommend you check out um, Transformer um, and Mathematics as we've discussed them oh, both. Megatron, Megatron. Oh, oh Megatron. It's called me. Oh, Megatron, isn't it? And um, and your book um, is called Nobody Told Me. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, and, and where can people find you and, and your stuff in general? Um, if you the best go place to, to keep track? hollypoetry.com, so it's holly with an IE, and then yeah. poetry.com, everything's up there. Everything's there, perfect. Well, thank you for chatting and go ahead. No problem, I'll read it. All right, embarrassed. I thought it was okay. I could understand the reasons. They said there might be young children or a nervous man seeing this small piece of flesh that they weren't quite expecting. So I whispered and tiptoed with nervous discretion. But after six months of her life sat sitting on lids, sipping on milk, nostrils sniffing on shit, trying not to bang her head on toilet roll dispensers, I wonder whether these public loo feeds offend her. Because I'm getting tired of discretion and being polite. As my baby's first sips are drowned drenched in shite, I spent the first feeding months of her beautiful life feeling nervous and awkward and wanting everything right. Surrounded by family till I stepped out the house. It took me eight weeks to get the confidence to go into town. Now the comments around me cut like a knife as I rush into toilet cubicles feeling nothing like nice. Because I'm giving her milk that's not in a bottle. Wishing the cocaine generation white powder would topple us pyramid sales pitches across our green globe and female breasts banned. Unless they're out just for show. And the more I go out, the more I can't stand it. I walk into town, feel I'm surrounded by bandits Cos in this country of billboards covered in tits And family newsagent magazines full of it WH Smith top shelves out for men Why don't you complain about them then? In this country of billboards covered in tits And family newsagent magazines full of it WH Smith top shelves out for men I'm getting embarrassed In case a small flash of flesh might offend And I'm not trying to parade it I don't want to make a show But when I'm told I'd be better just staying at home And when another friend I know is thrown off a bus and another mother told to get out of a pub, even my grandma said maybe I was sexing it up. And I'm sure the milkmakers love all this fuss, all the cussing and worrying looks of disgust as another mother turns from nipples to powder, ashamed or embarrassed by comments around her and as I hold her head up and pull my cardia across and she sips on this liquor made by everyone's God, I think for God's sake Jesus drank it. So did Siddhartha, Muhammad and Moses and both of their fathers Ganesh and Shiva and Brigid and Buddha and I'm sure they weren't doing it sniffing on piss as their mothers sat embarrassed on cold toilet lids in a country of billboards covered in tits. In a country of low-cut tops, cleavage and skin, in a country of cloth bags and recycling bins and as I desperately try to take all of this in. I hold her head up. I can't get my head round. The anger towards us and not to the sounds of lorries offloading formula milk into countries where water runs dripping in filth. In towns where breasts are oasis of life now dried up in two-for-one offers enticed by labels and logos and gold standard rights claiming breast milk is healthier powdered and white packaged and branded and sold at a price so that nothing is free in this money-fueled life which is fine if you need it or prefer to use bottles where water is clean and bacteria boiled but in towns where they drown in pollution and sewage bottled kids die and they knew that they'd do it in towns where pennies are savoured like sweets we're now paying for one thing that has always been free in towns empty of hospital beds babies die diarrhea fueled that breast milk would end so no more will i sit on these cold toilet lids no matter how embarrassed i feel as she sips because in this country of billboards covered in tits i think i should try to get used to this I'm 
joined now by Jack Rook. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Thank, I don't know why I've done a northern accent. Yeah, I don't know why you what? went northern. I didn't know he was northern. We've spoken many times. Hello! Um, I'm very well. That would have been a good thing to just throw <laughs> yeah, yeah, people. For anyone who's never heard you before, like, I like that northern guy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm from Lancashire today, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. No, I'm from Watford. I don't know why. I think it's because uh, I've just sort of been up north. I've managed yeah. to get out of the M25. Yeah. And everyone is like, it's that cliche of people being so much immediately nicer. Yeah. Uh, they could be horrible about me behind my back, but like to my face, people any further north than Luton are lovely. It's, it's always a hugely <laughs> yeah. conscious effort for me to not impersonate accents while yeah. talking to people. Oh God, I'm really It's bad. one, like, you've probably got back and you feel you can relax now yeah but it's like that thing of when you're having a chat <laughs> yeah. i will instantly drift into a whichever accent i'm hearing and then think oh god i've just been really i've been racist yeah. or i've been offensive I've in some way well you have been yes people. yes like, i have australian's my worst one because i think if you're any sort of like summer high tie chris lily fan yeah. you just immediately yeah. want to start speaking like this yeah, <laughs> yeah. um so yeah so, so what have you been doing um, north of the M25? So north of the M25, <laughs> I have been, well, I've been uh, going up to Edinburgh, yep. um, which you just come back from, was doing three nights of a charity showcase. So um, well, we both do some bits and bobs for Calm. Yes. For yes. a brilliant male suicide prevention charity. So we were doing a sort of poetry, comedy, music showcase in aid yeah. of Calm um, up at the Fringe with Josie Long and Richard Gadd, who just won the Comedy Award. Amazing. And Marie, some really, really great people. Yeah. Um, and have come back from that and I'm now sort of about to record uh, a show that I toured last year called Good Grief for Radio 4. Yeah. Which I'm quite sort of nervous about. And yeah. keep on sort of like... I mean, that's hugely ex- exciting mm. though that it's, it's coming off the, off the back of that. I mean, let's ju- I jump straight into Good Grief. I want to talk as well about... Cause, I've seen you host a lot at, at Bestival and Camp Bestival, and I think the yeah. reason you often get picked as the host is you've got great spoken word experience, but you also kind of go into stand-up, and that's kind of the perfect mix for mm. for hosts, where you have to be the one that's kind of particularly on a spoken word lineup, even more on a spoken word lineup if I've had anything to do with the, the the booking of it. <laughs> it's probably going to have got quite heavy and dark. Yeah, but so the- it's really handy to have someone to go. Okay, let's go on to the hey. next person. My favourite ones are the dark ones. Yeah, so, yeah. like, who is it? A couple of years back, you had B. Dolan headlining. Yeah, yeah. That, for me, was just the best thing I've seen at Bestival. Yeah. I loved it. Because yeah, I'd never really come across his stuff. Yeah. And he just did this set, and it was dark and light, and he was funny in between, but then it was talking about, like, racism and, like, just yeah. so much stuff sort of spiring, falling out of him. It's, it's um, so great. People like B. Dolan and Sage Francis, because because they did Edinburgh this year for the first time. Yeah. And I was worried because I'd kind of talked them into it a bit. Mm. And it's that weird thing of they've been like slam slam winners for years in America, award winning, mm. like the best of the best. And then they stopped doing spoken word for a long time. And I was instantly like, in that time, the spoken word scene in the UK has grown hugely. Yeah. And a lot of people will be aware of Sage or Saul Williams and some of Dolan, but not as many over here. I was like, the exciting thing here is... You, they get to walk in and go, look, we're really good. Yeah, like You might not yeah, have heard yeah, of yeah. us, but we know what we're doing. We've been doing this a little while. I think also audiences <laughs> now are like a bit more, because spoken word, especially in the last sort of six or seven years, has yeah. had such a sort of meteoric yeah. rise. Yeah. I can't say that word. It but, truly has. Um, people critique it better, if yeah. that makes sense. Like Audiences actually 
kind of a like actually I really like that that's good rather than before I think point. Yeah, like, before it was like oh I saw some spoken words spoken word and, and that it was, was it. said in a certain way with some pauses so yeah. I liked it but yeah. now people are like no that stuff's like the good shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that stuff I'm not so into which yeah. I think is cool because that's how every other art form has been comedy because like, it's all so subjective comedy people are like I really love that comedian or I don't like that comedian yeah. and now I feel like with spoken word people are like I really like that poet and I don't like that poet yeah. rather than I saw some poetry <laughs> Yeah. I saw poetry. I feel I feel in, intellectual yeah. and, and, and and wise. It's <laughs> yeah. no. I think that's a great point because me, and I think it's 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 really important as as well because particularly as I kind of ease off of the spoken word scene a little bit, I'd have people all the time going, "Oh, I saw some spoken word this week," and then yeah. you kind of see see what it was, and it's like. Not again. Not, no, it's yeah. all subjective. Yeah. But it would be like that's not that good. That's, it's yeah. like, and, uh, and it's being check out Holly McNeish. Yeah, exactly. Like. <laughs> check yeah. out Holly, Polar Bear, Kate, all these people. And it's like, I like the fact that it's getting, it's growing up in that way. It's, mm. it's past that point of just oh, it's spoken word. Therefore, it's the the novelty and excitement of yeah. They're not having to be jokes if you don't want there to be, yeah. and they're not having to be a music and stuff like that. Now to the point of, as you said, yeah, I like that and. That I don't like. I'm not saying it's shit, yeah. but I don't like it. Mm. You know, I love that. Yeah, it's cool that taste has now come into it. Because I think that's when people can take things seriously rather than it being a fad. Yeah. Like, so I think so many parts of the arts and performances, they come and go. And people are like, oh, I've seen that. Oh, I've seen this sort of like, this person with the GoPro and they were like performing and then it like merged. It. And it's like, yeah. I think there's so many things that are quite faddy, if that yeah, makes sense. completely. And so it, it, again, it used to annoy me. When people say, oh I, "Oh, I love, I love spoken word," because again, that's so vague. It's yeah. like saying, "Because like I love music," <laughs> so I might not like that. There's there's millions of different kinds of music. I'd yeah. rather you're more specific on I like this kind of spoken word or that or this yeah. artist or that artist. So yeah, it's a good development. Can we talk a bit about Good Grief then? Because mm. it's not a show that I ever caught, and I was gutted because it was two different times I'd it I'd planned to come along and then yeah. couldn't make it at the last minute. Um. And what intrigued me the most was, as I said, knowing you as quite an upbeat and, and entertaining and, and, and amusing person. As I said, you do stand up as, as well as poetry and you, you mix the two at points. Good Grief instantly sounded like a very heavy show and a heavy topic. So, mm. so what's it about and what was kind of the, the motivation behind it? So I studied journalism at university. Yeah. I studied documentary making and was sort of in there. I was at uni on like a scholarship. We were really skin. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I was like, I need to make something actually about the things that make me feel quite self-conscious at uni. So I always felt at uni like, you know, everyone almost seemingly had like loads of money. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I like never did. And I was like, I want to make something about, I suppose, my experiences. And then the, the, the biggest thing that came to mind was to make something about my dad. Yeah. So he um, was a black cab driver. He used to literally, his like cab office was around the corner from where we we're recording this, just along Old Street. Amazing. Cab. Oh, and, um, and he was just sort of this like really prolific, um, I suppose, like, spirit in my life. He was, he's definitely sort of one of those people that kind of, I, when I was younger, I think I almost stuck to him like glue more than anyone else, more than my mum, more than my brothers or whatever. And he sadly passed away when I was 15, quite suddenly of cancer. So he got, he was ill for a few months and then got diagnosed with cancer and died 10 days later. So there was no real sort of process of preparation. 
and sort of the years following that were were very strange because it was a case of sort of like dealing with one being a teenager, two not having him around as a parent, yeah. then also not having him around as a friend, and then also having to like face my mum who now has lost her partner and my nan who'd now lost her son and yeah. and actually that being quite an overlooked part of of losing him people would really always ask me about my mum but never really ask me about my nan because yeah. i think you know there's a really interesting thing by a comedian called jade adams where she says that when a when a child loses a parent they're an orphan and when a partner loses a partner they're a widow or a widower but there's no word for when a yeah. parent loses a child because it yeah. shouldn't be that way it's yeah. that's how yeah. horrific it is yeah and so taking all of these sort of dark concepts of, of trying to make a show about bereavement within a working class family and, and showcase it, me and my nan decided that we would make this documentary. Well, I, we didn't decide. I decided that I'd make it and she would be in it. <laughs> so I like bribed her to be interviewed and we filmed this like two hour long interview in her flat in Uxbridge and we had like a Chinese and just oh, I asked yeah. her loads of questions about my dad and sort of like how she dealt with bereavement and how she dealt with grief and weird things like people would ask her about a friend that had died but would never ask her about her son and actually she was desperate to talk about my dad yeah. she was desperate to remember him and and did that but people just couldn't it's strange isn't deal it? with different it. people are with with, mm. with bereavement i've i've always or irregularly freaks people out that I know that my favourite day of the year mm. is April 25th because it's the anniversary of, of, of one of my, my best friends dying. But mm. I love that on that day, everyone's talking about it. All the yeah. Facebook feeds are full up with memories or yeah. photos I haven't seen before. And I normally go around his mum and dad's house and we have a drink and we chat. Mm. And it's like, it's a beautiful and exciting thing. Yet, as mm. you said, a lot of people wouldn't approach that chat topic because like they'd be scared to. And yeah, from the sounds of it, I, I, your nan, I, I would have loved to go... Here's some stories Here's about some, my boy. Yeah. Who I can't, for some reason, I can't talk about anymore. Yeah. Like, people don't want uh, uncomfortable hearing about it in a way. But that's why I was like, let's make a doc and get yeah. that you can have that platform and I can have that platform and to put a sort of 15 year old's perspective and an 80 year old's perspective yeah. next to each other. And then we ran out of money. So <laughs> I couldn't make, make the documentary and I was doing a bit of performance, but I never really considered making a piece of work about grief and then somebody from the arts council was like why don't you turn this into a show yeah. and we can help and i was like Amazing. let's do it so we made the show with sort of, sort of support from the roundhouse and soho theater and rich mix and um yeah and it, we we did it at the edinburgh fringe festival and so the show is a mix of sort of stand-up and storytelling and then the interviews of my nan being projected oh, on the back Sounds great. and it was just incredible like the response to it was bizarre yeah because we were doing it and for like the first three performances had a lot of walkouts if i'm honest like people oh, were like really? can't handle this or they were like you're trivializing death like yeah. it was really divided audiences which is kind of what i wanted good. i was gonna say um, which is as great. you will have seen you can't see here at this point my eyes lit up yeah. so like well that must have been amazing <laughs> then because that's kind of the i think one of the beauties of art is when you can 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 challenge people in such a manner mm. and as someone i mean i've been called morbid a lot but i think it's because i don't particularly see death in the same way as many people i yeah. see it as something that should be openly discussed and things like that so the excitement there of challenging their perceptions and not necessarily getting 
positive reactions yeah. initially is it's an oh, exciting my, thing. It was mad because those first three shows, I remember thinking, I've come up here with a with a stinker. <laughs> yeah, was like, yeah. This because people were really quite a little bit annoyed at me. Wow. And even though I'd, I, in my head, I'd made a show that was very safe, I let the audience know that they could leave at any time if they felt okay. emotional or something. Yeah. They could come back in whenever they like, and I feed the audience. And yeah. they have kind of quite, I, I make sure they're safe, but still people didn't like it. Yeah. And then the first reviews came out, and like the first four reviews were all five stars. And wow. I'd gone from like really nobody ever taking the show seriously, yeah. and it being a real battle to get, it programmed essentially to then loads of people coming and uh, quite a lot of focus on me. It's crazy the importance of reviews and stuff like mm. that, even as an audience member. And that sounds weird and it, sh- it, sh- it shouldn't be the case. But if the fact, if you're sitting there and you've not been told how you should feel about it or if this is yeah. good, then you have that discomfort of having to make your mind up for yourself (laughs) whereas if you've been told no this is five stars then you can get over the awkwardness or uncomfortableness of the subject matter of the way it's being approached and appreciate the art of it which Mm. that's a weird thing isn't it it's it's, it's weird that before people were told no it's all right this is really good they were like well if this isn't good it's really offensive yeah do you know what i mean yeah but i quite like artistically this has value oh in that case i can enjoy it (laughs) because if i didn't know that i was possibly going to walk out i was going to walk i was (laughs) gonna throw something yeah. yeah i mean i think it's this is how edinburgh is so fickle because yeah. at the same time then after those first four or fives i then got a three-star review from a younger theater which was like simply too morbid oh, and wow. i was like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> because also it was funny because then the one after that was the new york times and they were like engaging hilarious loved it oh wow so now my like ego i put on my posters ayt a younger theater nyt and like make yeah. your mind up which yeah. one you think is better yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but and I, yeah and so we did that in edinburgh and then we did a couple of runs at soho theater um and and yeah now we've got to the point where i'm working on a sort of tv sitcom version of it at the minute amazing which is really scary and, yeah. and radio 4 have just commissioned it for a one-off show that's fantastic next year man. so yeah it's really cool and it's really exciting and and i think hopefully uh sadly my granddad died this year when oh. we were supposed to tour it so i cancelled the tour for it right um so we're going to tour it next year and actually it coincides with political message which was to get people talking about widowed parents allowance cuts so there's a specific sort of welfare benefit that me and my mum benefited from when my dad died that was like a basic payment per week to help you you know if you've lost a parent if you've lost your partner up until your child turns 18 and so um those really great guys at the government (laughs) decided that actually they wanted to cut that so now the welfare payment proposed from april the first next year is going to be it will only lead up until the one year anniversary of your partner's death so you only get a year of welfare support before you then have to like sort everything yeah yeah and if anyone's ever been through grief i think you know that actually the first year is just you're just numb like it's a bit of a whirlwind it's the second and third year where i think the real emotional and financial and sort of like survival ramifications of it come forward start to come forward so we're going to start the tour the day that the welfare cuts come in oh, and wow. hopefully try and drum up as much, I suppose, support for people to to talk about it and also challenge the government on it. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's fantastic and a fantastic cause and, 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 and reason. So we'll get to mm. dates and where people can find out about that and we'll end on a piece. But uh, just me being me, I want to 
just talk a little bit more about death with you. Um, mm. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it is a fascinating one because from what from everything that you said there, it's weird, or it's not weird, but quite rightfully, the focus when someone dies is on the reaction of those that they left behind. Because because mm. my instinct on hearing that was you didn't have the time to. Um, start to come to terms with the fact that your dad was going to pass, yeah. didn't have time, to, all this kind of thing. But he didn't have to go through months and months and months of pain and horror. So in a mm. way, for him, for the person who wasn't going to be there and have to deal with it anymore, it was the best of a yeah. horrible situation, right? It wasn't that months and months of drawn out, becoming a, a fragment of who you mm. once thought they were. Um, but again, that's quite that's quite right and quite ex- acceptable because you, you're the ones who are there afterwards. Yeah. Uh, to deal with that so what drew you to then kind of cast your sight at the others at your mum your mum having to deal with it your mm. nan having to do it rather than because again it can be very easy to just become very me 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 me, me. yeah and again yeah. and not saying that in an insulting way at all in a mm. completely natural way to go man i've because yeah you've just lost your your best friend and father and all this kind of thing so yeah, what was it you think inside you that that found that 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 thing to go right? I need to let's look at how everyone else's. Was there any feeling of I need to be the the man of the family or anything else? Or yeah. you know, did that do you think that drove it? Or well, I think there's a kind of mentality that perhaps is, and this is maybe going to sound like an overgeneralization, but it's perhaps more prominent within like a working class family unit. Yeah. That you know, you say we before me. Yeah, and that I think you know. I say Wolo before Yolo. Like we only live once. Like let's all <laughs> yeah, remember yeah, that yeah, before yeah. we all yeah. get on our like pedestals yeah. of individualism. And and so I guess I wanted to create something that had my mum's input and had my nan's input because it, it it was also about reflecting how you know you can deal with it collectively. Yeah. And actually, because you know, for me, the the most prominent thing that I'm actually trying to get across in kind of all of my work really is that you can tackle loneliness with being silly and funny and happy and finding humor in the most darkest of shit really and so the idea of having my mum and my nan in was to kind of voice those perspectives as well on the same theme so like my mum talks about a bereavement counselor we had that basically got diarrhea in our first session we had to stop our session and she was like farting in our house it was grim (laughs) and my nan talks about sort of taking my dad away pulls that with everyone that's actually her breathing counseling she's like i'm gonna lighten things up i'm gonna go in there because there's nothing just funnier than farts that's that's been established (laughs) in in history this is how i'm gonna help people cope (laughs) i really hope so because it was very effective um but yeah, and I think also there had been quite a lot of work about comedians and performers losing their parents. Like, yeah. You know, there's been a real trope of been their a thing, dad shows. Particularly in Edinburgh, it became a yeah. thing that, oh, this is how you get nominated. Yeah. There's, by, yeah. yeah. And um, and so, you know, and I found that criticism quite early on when I was actually, ironically, talking to a Radio 4 producer before we took the show to Edinburgh. And she was like, this would never get made. Dead dads have been done. So, all right, and I was like, "They're going to keep dying. <laughs> They're um, going to keep dying." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and she was very blunt, and I, I quite admire that bluntness to an extent. But also, my dad's in the show for about twenty seconds. Yeah. I kill him off at the very beginning, yeah, yeah. and then the rest of it is about us. Yeah, like yeah. essentially, 
uh, it's it's way more self indulgent than being about him. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so yeah, so and I, and I think my nan story in particular is something that people need to hear more. In fact, actually, yeah. my nan and my mum's because I think women in particular, when you get past that sort of. 50 age gap now my mum speaks a lot about just feeling more and more invisible not just like in terms of chatting to people in everyday life but in terms of like the media and yeah and sort of like she even tried to book a holiday once and I remember like they were selling the rooms per two people and she was like but I want a room for myself and they're like oh actually we don't do it like that because it's usually for like couples (laughs) it's just weird we've built this world whereby if you're over the age of like 50 like where's your partner do you not have a husband do you not have this like and so for me it was about putting the loneliness that I felt as a teenager and that my mum felt as a sort of parent and like older woman along with my nan who is an elderly woman who who kind of was really not able to talk about my dad at all because the show also looks a bit my granddad got dementia after my dad died and it was quite sort of triggered i suppose by that trauma and so it really looks at that so there's like it's amazing there's loads of different elements which i think is why a dead dad story it's It's not a living nan story and a living mum story yeah yeah and a and a feminism story and and a sort of uh, a funny one like ultimately i wanted people to come away and say that they'd laughed yeah because that, for me, any time I've ever dealt with anything horrific has been what's kept me or us going. Yeah. It's, 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 it sounds fascinating. On, on, on my birthday two years ago, I had my mum my and dad on the podcast. And one of the things mm. that went down best with my mum was her talking about as a single woman, because my parents are separated, and she was always adamant, and she learnt this from her mum after her, her dad died, was that she makes sure she takes herself out for a meal on her own. She'll go on mm. a holiday on her own and things like that, just to try and go, no, I'm I'm valid. And I had a thing yeah. recently, and I probably shouldn't talk about it on the podcast, but it's pissed me off. But I was speaking to my mum at the weekend, and it's a similar thing on the booking front of, of feeling marginalised when you're a woman of a certain age mm. in this, this situation. She'd book tickets online for this TV thing that... Jamie Oliver was doing at the end of South MP he's got this cafe there and yeah. he's a local guy and all this and she booked tickets and she got an email through going right yep th- that's all good you've got in in time if you just ask send through the photos of you and the person you're bringing and my mum was like excuse me why am I sending through photos yeah and and she wasn't comfortable with that again mm. a woman of over 50 it's like you're not mm. you don't take a lot of <laughs> don't yeah. take tons of selfies no. <laughs> she wants to go and watch a cook and experience this thing but she felt kind of excluded from it because she's they obviously i'd imagine as it was probably a filmed thing wanted a load of cool young nice hip cool looking people it's like fuck you or it's just even like you're a a chef mate you're cooking people of all ages (laughs) eat it's not just people under 30 that eat so everyone eats let's not (laughs) get caught up on what you look like and yeah and i'm sure that's nothing to do with jamie oliver and it'll be a production company where else but fucking piss me off man why are you asking for a photo it's telly as well the whole thing it's like everything's got an image it's even in like this morning when my favorite daytime tv watches where they've started doing this thing now where like they get the, the fashion item of the show yeah. and so they've started getting models and they're calling them real women yeah. so it's like let's bring on some real women and it's like oh, wow. the women who are models are also real yeah. women yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. sort of like complete plastic freaks yeah. Yeah. we've sort of really made a very conscious effort to show 
for some reason, women's images of all different ages and then immediately be like almost pick and choose where we place them and what who we label them who, at. It's yeah. like, who's real? Who's beautiful? Who's this? Yeah. And yeah, my my mum speaks a little bit of that, about that in my net show um, that she's also in. Amazing. And And yeah, I think... I think we just need to be a little bit more thoughtful. Yeah. That's literally it. We it's just need to kind that, yeah. of understand that as somebody in your 20s and your 30s can be single, someone in your 50s, 60s, in fact, if anything, somebody in your 60s and 70s is more likely to be single. Yeah. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> yeah. well, where can people keep up to date? Um, you said you're doing... Mm. Your- you're touring good grief. Are the dates confirmed on that? Or where the dates people... aren't confirmed, but it's all being produced by Soho Theatre. So if Excellent. you look at Soho Theatre's website in the next few yeah. months, that'll all be coming up. And then I've got my website, jackrook.com, where I put bits and bobs and whatnot. So, Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Jack. And let's let's end on a piece, if that's Perfect. okay. I'm just going to double check because I was, th- I was editing it on the train. I just want to double check that I did. I love the, like... the life of the modern... Poet that is just editing things on the train on your phone. He's he's taking his phone out now, by the way, rather than an old parchment. (laughs) (laughs) Have you got the latest edit? Yeah, I have. I just need to delete. I'm making it slightly shorter. (laughs) Perfect. I love it. Okay. Okay. I haven't ever. I've only ever read this poem once, but I feel like it's something I'd like to read, considering what we've talked about. Great. Go ahead. So this poem is called. Uh, your worst success. I remember you were writing an article and you were really struggling with it. It was something to do with climate change. Quite frankly, I really didn't give a fuck. And I said, you can't just expect to be the best. You've got to fail at it a few times before succeeding. And you did. You failed so many times. I'm not sure how. I don't really need to know how, but you'd failed at it and you were still with us. You were still suppressing all that dark matter, the damp that made your hands clamp up, so much so you were unable to drink your red stripe. We'd go to every pub in Kilburn, and it wouldn't be until that time we went to get cash out at the ATM by Bronsbury Station that I'd nervously finally tell you after months of waiting that I fancy men! And you said, Jack... You're like my brother. Why would I give a fuck, you big fat puff? Get 20 quid out or else it's more expensive after midnight. And then we'd dance. And you'd tell me about how you used to write poems about ex-girlfriends and how if they'd steal your chips, that's when you knew she wasn't the one. You said if anyone ever takes the piss out of me, you'd fuck the shit out of them. And whilst I didn't agree with your method of protection, it certainly felt nice. It certainly felt, Jack, you're like my brother. Like a brother, you were difficult. And I'm sorry I thought for a while you were too difficult because you weren't. You never could be. Not then, not now, not ever. We didn't speak for five months. And our last phone call on February the 23rd was full of plans that only now I understand you never really made them. You let me dream them. Book the tickets in my brain. Wipe my diary for pretend and waste money sorting trains. You knew. Or at least we hope you didn't. I hoped that phone call would never happen, but it wasn't a surprise. I had heard it in my head before. But I'd hoped with all my heart I'd see you married, with a shitty digital marketing job, some annoying doppelganger kids and me as a token gay uncle friend person. 
I'm pissed off. You've taken that from both of us. I'm angry at you for failing so many times, yet finally succeeding. I'm pissed off at you for getting yours, but taking away our sleep. I'm angry that I had to go all the way to fucking Bognor Regis for your funeral. You know I get bad travel sickness, and Bognor Regis is a bit of a shithole. I'm pissed off you thought nobody cared when there were hundreds of people at your funeral that adored you, but I find it funny that you're in the 27 Club because it's such a cliche you'd hate it. And that's all your fault. Well, it's not your fault. None of it is your fault. I get it. And I'm sad. I never prayed so much as on March the 6th when Claire told me you were gone. I never prayed so much that you were hopefully, finally happy. I wish you were with me. But that article you wrote on climate change was actually pretty great. And you really were one of the best. Right, I'm joined now by Cecilia Knapp. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. I'm so happy to be here. It's good to see you and have a have a, a catch up. It feels like it's, it's been ages. I've I kind know. of had that with everyone. It's kind of like generally catch up at festival. Yeah, yeah. And then we're not Once doing festival this year, so it's also, like, well, it's let's, have like a... let's catch up. And then whenever I do catch up, we've like got some sort of microphone device yeah, between yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. I remember I interviewed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I interviewed you for my dissertation. When oh, I was that was at, right. Um, yeah, that was before I our gig at Coco. Yeah, yeah. It was a good good chat. As, it was a good well, chat. Though. I've still got it on my laptop. Good. So, <laughs> so how are you? What's what's going on at the moment? I'm really well. Yeah, yeah. Summer's been good. Um, I've been at a few festivals. Yeah. Um, and then um, doing a few gigs. And Excellent. Back in May, I had I had my show at the Roundhouse. Because that was, was it. Because last time we spoke, I think was at Kate Tempest's birthday party. It um, was. Yeah. And you were excited then because you were about to do your first full kind of yeah, your big yeah. show and, and planning to tour it and that. So how's that gone? How's that coming about? So, yeah, it's been... Um, it's finding home, right? It's Is called that, finding yeah. home, yeah. It's been in development for the last kind of year. So I yeah. guess I started writing it about a, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Sort of, um, I was sitting on uh, Maria's sofa. Maria, who you just yeah, had on yeah, the yeah. podcast earlier. Uh, yeah, I was sitting on her sofa and we were just like doing a little writing session and I started writing this thing and then it just became longer and longer and longer and longer and I realised I was writing one of those one-person shows that everyone's yeah, writing everyone at the moment. Do, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was, I guess, I mean, all, probably almost two years ago now Amazing. and then um, I kind of so I had this kind of wad of papers and I was like, well, what do I do with this? Um, sort of showed it to a few people and showed it to the roundhouse who've been like amazingly supportive yeah. um to, to me in my career so far and they were like oh well you should get a producer and, and somebody to kind of sort of facilitate you actually making this into yeah. a piece of theater i love um, kind of learning how that process all works because yeah, it's something I'm, 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 I've, I've never experienced but it's beautiful that there's the roundhouse and the batsy arts center mm. and all these things who will help facilitate these things and put yeah, you in touch yeah. with a producer or someone who can turn this from oh i've got an idea that's essentially a really long poem yeah basically, <laughs> and turn it into talking. no no <laughs> yeah. no this is going to be a show and it's going to yeah, be yeah. 
a full a full experience. Completely. So yeah, they were awesome. And the, and then I met this amazing director called Stepha Driscoll, who'd yeah. worked with Kate Tempest yeah. in yeah. the past on on her um, things that she'd written for yeah. theatre. Um, and so we just to- you know when you meet someone and it you're just, just like we are going to get on like Perfect. a house on fire. Um, and she was like, I love your script. There's loads of work to be done. So which yeah. was great. <laughs> she was like, basically, I love your script, but we're going to completely like rip it apart. No, and that's start perfect again. to hear Amazing. as well, man, because yeah, I think yeah. it, it could be a worry if you've zero experience in doing a full show like that. Yeah. And someone turns around and says, you've nailed it. It's perfect. Because yeah. that would make me think. I'd be like, what? Chances are pretty slim that I've nailed it when I didn't it. know what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. or, or, or in your respect, I didn't even know I was writing a show initially. Yeah, I was came. just writing. Yeah. So it, it must have been, yeah, exciting to meet so someone who's like, no, I've. And she There's was work, so not like I, I, I don't really come from a theatre background. I've always yeah. just I, I kind of fell into what I'm doing now. Yeah. Really, like I used to think maybe I wanted to be an actor, and then I thought, oh, maybe I want to, um, I, I yeah, maybe I want to write poems. And then I was kind of like I fell somewhere in between this, yeah. you know, poem um, on the page, and then the kind of performance element of it. And I always felt Polar Bear once said that defined it really well for me he was like i i write for my own mouth like i yeah. write for my own voice and i kind yeah. of really liked that idea yeah, yeah yeah so so i kind of just fell into doing what i guess people call spoken word yeah what i now just call writing because yeah. <laughs> that's what it what feels like most natural to me it's such so a fun one there's, there's so many people big in the spoken word scene mm. who the same as me struggle to know what to refer to, to it, or struggle to be comfortable yeah. saying yeah. i'm a spoken word artist it's just like yeah. I do exactly the same with a lot of people describe it as spoken word. Mm. <laughs> Maybe rather than just like it's, committing to it myself. Yeah, exactly. It's like people tell me it's this, but. Maybe it's because you, you kind of feel like it's not, it doesn't just stop there. Yeah. Like, so for example, for a long time, for like three or four years, I was writing what people call spoken word, that whole idea of writing your own story for your own yeah. voice with the idea of performing it in mind. And then I kind of fell into writing a piece for theatre. Yeah. So. When I had the idea of a theatre director in mind, yeah. I didn't see my director, yeah. Steph, who Amazing. is like, like just she's incredible. She's so on my level, and she just kind of gets it. And she's kind of navigated this kind of grey area between theatre and poetry, and yeah. that kind of one person show thing. So she totally got it. Yeah. She'd worked with Kate before, and she'd worked with um, Paul Cree yeah. on his one man show, and so she took it on for me. And then um, it's, a, it's a great combination because. The beauty there is you're not tarnished by history in theatre. So mm. I don't mean tarnished in a bad way, but you've not you're not going to f- fall into any what maybe stereotypical tropes or anything like that yeah, because yeah. it's so new to you. But Completely. you've got someone there who can guide you through the right parts yeah. and, and 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 help you along the way. Which totally. it must be what's exciting for Steph in that respect to keep yeah. finding people that it's like right. Yeah. I, I like it's finding a skill in bringing people who maybe wouldn't have naturally thought oh mm, I, I mm. want to write a theatre piece yeah. and going no you've kind of already written one yeah. or you've been performing yeah, many yeah. versions of them for a long time yeah exactly because I guess that's what a kind of piece is like yeah. what a poem or a piece or a spoken word thing or whatever it's, it's kind of a mini mini play in three minutes isn't yeah, it 100% but she, yeah it was also and I felt I felt back then when I first started writing it 
I didn't feel as capable as I feel now. It's yeah. opened so many doors to me. It's made me think it doesn't just have to stop with a one-person show. You know, I could write for other voices as well. Yeah. I could write plays and I could write screenplays and I've even started writing a longer thing. I'm so reticent about calling it a novel, but I have. Yeah. I am, like, writing something that could maybe turn into that. Could potentially you know I mean? be a novel. But I think it's also really amazing to have, like, a team around you, which you don't necessarily have when you're just writing poems. Because so I'd written all these poems all my life, and then suddenly I had a director and a producer and a director who was so invested into the piece. Like, I remember the first rehearsal that we went into, she made me write, she made me write little chunks of it out on A4 paper and just fill an entire room with them on the floor and Amazing. then we were sort of running around barefoot being like what's that bit doing there get rid of it or keep it and it was just <laughs> in, like fun you know playing yeah. with like the narrative and playing with like the language and the story and, and, and playing with how to bring all this kind of mess of ideas that have just been in my head for the last yeah. 24 years into a piece of theatre and you know what that's 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 that sounds absolutely genius to me because that's making the sometimes uncomfortable editing process a mm. fun thing yeah because again the fact is if you're just sitting down and someone's saying not only do i think that doesn't work mm. i think we should remove it completely yeah, i don't yeah. think we should even try and fix yeah. it that's a really fucking hard conversation yeah. to have and with I'm someone who's who's yeah. slave, who might be in love with that bit or slaved oh, over totally. it you're doing that and going look let's get rid of that that's does that work? Yeah, ah, and it's such it an important thing. skill to learn to yeah. be able to be like, fine, let's scrap it. Like the amount yeah. of fights we had, I was like, I want to keep it. She would be like, why? And I'd be like, because it sounds good and people will think I'm a good writer if yeah. I keep that bit in. And she's like, yeah, but it's not serving your story. Yeah. This isn't, a, you've got to kind of take your ego out of it a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's the importance yeah. of having, I mean, on, in any respect of having having editors from an outs, out, outside mm. thing. I've got um, a little... F- a film thing that I've been working on and I, I had edited it myself and the most important step now has been going right I need someone who's I don't know mm. who's a professional yeah, at this yeah, yeah. to, to, to take the hands of, ed- yeah. of editing now because exactly that there might be certain bits that even subconsciously b- because I'm in it like my hair, hair might look good in that scene yeah, or something like that that I'm not even thinking about but I'm thinking I look good so I don't want to cut that it's, it's not true, important to the story yeah, at all but something there will be keep that and also to be asked <laughs> those questions that no one ever asked, that you don't yeah. ask yourself. Like, yeah. I don't sit down to write with a checklist going, is this articulating the message? Um, is this too much? Is this too little? Like, I don't ask myself those yeah. questions. So to have somebody external from your own mind, which my mind yeah. is like, it's like one of those like weird fun fairs in there. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like everything's yeah. all yeah, like yeah, yeah. going around in there all the time. So to have someone like a calm presence in the room being like, challenging me making me uncomfortable making me question myself um making me build myself back up um from the bottom essentially in terms of my writing process as as well it'd be no good if it's someone just coming in and shitting all over your confidence essentially like this is terrible it's it's like right no it's 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 highlighting those things and making you comfortable with the fact Mm. that if there was something you liked and they want gone you wrote that, mm. so you're capable of doing something just as good. Mm. If they don't like it, then you will replace it with mm. something that's mm. better. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. I think that's particularly when you're starting off and particularly when you're at that phase where you've gigged a bit and you're starting to replace old poems with new poems. Yeah. There's that nerves of, no, but I know that's good yeah. and the crowd like that. Yeah. It's like, well, 
that didn't exist before you created it. Exactly. So what you replace it with is going to be even better or equally as and good or whatever until else. Until you, know? you replace it, you're never gonna you're never gonna match that first yeah. poem that you wrote that started pleasing crowds. It's re- you've yeah. got to make yourself uncomfortable sometimes, yeah. and I'm so guilty of just touring the same set that yeah. I and I did it for a while and then I just thought this isn't like satisfying me anymore like I'm standing yeah. on stage I'm starting to glaze over I'm not present because I'm reading a poem that I know inside out um I need to challenge myself yeah. I need to be, like write more and I need to bring the stuff that I'm not sure of in front of an audience and gauge their reaction it's because really that's important. how you know isn't it's it it's really important it's, yeah. it's, it's it's why I'm currently on like 2 years off from gigging at the moment mm. because of exactly that I was like I'm getting amazing reactions which is beautiful but it's also really dangerous because yeah. yeah, it really yeah. can make you just get comfortable complacent. and get and complacent. Mm. So it's important to step away and go, next time I step on stage, yeah. it's going to be new material. It's yeah. going to be a new challenge and all that. Um, it excites me there just the mention of – of because I, I think me m- m- and Marie discussed the exact same phrase of finding your own voice or, or yeah, speaking yeah, yeah. F- for yourself or, th- or through yourself. It excites me then – when you get to the point, if you choose to, of writing theatre or whatever for other voices mm. and for other people, because yeah. surely that suddenly, and it's not something I've particularly done, but that suddenly opens so many more doors oh, and avenues. You've spent all this so time exciting, yeah. essentially writing one c- c- character. Yeah. That character happens to be you. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you've spent all this time writing that one character, and now suddenly you can go, now there's th- 30 new characters, all with as yeah, much depth and variation yeah. as you want. Yeah, I think it's amazing, right? I think the sh- my show, my one woman thing, yeah. gave me the confidence to be able to progress into other ways of writing. Like, um, what I wanted to do with Finding Home yeah. at the moment, it's called Finding Home. We're we're going to tour it next year, hopefully, yeah. and and maybe develop it a bit more. Um, but what I wanted to do was kind of make something like full and weighty and tangible based on the last few years of my life that had yeah. been quite turbulent and yeah, quite yeah. traumatic um I, and I kind of wanted to do that in order to be like cool that's that bit like yeah. that's that kind of yeah. compartmentalized and processed and reconciled and made into a piece of work Mate, and art, art that, is the best as a psychology thing of going right that's now been worth it yeah no matter yeah. how bad something is I've created yeah, something of worth that. and value exactly. so bang. I yeah, think on, yeah and I think um I just really wanted, I just felt like when I was coming to write, everything that was coming out was all of this stuff and it was all about kind of loss and it was about grief and it was about mental health and things like, things like that. And I thought, I want to write a, a full show that, that, that challenges all of these things mm-hmm. and deals with them. Obviously, you can't deal with them all in, in an hour-long one-woman show, but yeah. it, like I wanted, to, I wanted to kind of pour out everything that I was questioning and feeling about those particular topics and make the show which which turned into finding home and in doing that and allowing myself to be really vulnerable on stage and really and to go through a quite a painful process in writing it um and rehearsing it relentlessly and when the the show deals with um with the suicide of my older brother mm-hmm. and so when you're writing about that was actually the easy part because I was like god this feels so good it's so cathartic I'm, I'm yeah. you know I'm getting I'm getting it all out I'm getting it all out but actually rehearsing it and performing it over and over again was the you most challenging to put thing yourself through those emotions it's repeatedly. like opening a wound again yeah. completely um but the thing that that's that stopped 
not stopped, but the thing that kind of remedied that and balanced it out was just the audience reactions of people being yeah. like, this is a show for anyone that's ever lost somebody and yeah. this is a show for anyone that's ever felt crazy in their grief or, yeah. or alone in their grief or whatever. It's, it's, it's such a strange cycle as well because the fact is the only way to do that topic justice Mm. is to really go there each time so you're really putting yourself through it each time because if you don't then fuck how disrespectful is that to the topic to the the subject to everything you're you're discussing there so yeah it's a it's a heavy one to take on but from everything i've heard and as you said from the feedback and everything it's 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 worth it, and it it kind of yeah. It may, it, it feels that way now. <laughs> there were there were times when I was like, I can't go to rehearsals today. Yeah, but yeah. then it was also worth it in the end. And also having done that and having challenged myself and put myself through that, I feel like you know that's just the beginning of my career as a yeah. writer. Like like you say, the exciting thing is like. I could write. I can write things for other voices now, yeah, and yeah, and it's crazy. and I can still write about myself because writing is my way of healing and and processing. Um, but writing for other people that excites me massively. And the the things that I'm working on at the moment are very character based. And playing with dialogue is so fun because I'm yeah. just I'm listening to people on the tube and I'm thinking I want to use that type of dialogue in the thing yeah. that I'm writing at the moment. Yeah. You know, it's very yeah, it's, it's super exciting. It's what I always liked about your spoken word and when it was kind of over music as well Mm. um was that it always felt so exactly that it felt so relatable it felt almost overheard at a party or Mm. overheard or uh, again uh, just imagine like you'd hear if if i'm on the early train home hungover a conversation i'd hear two people across from me having and and, and things like that it felt real and relatable so that must be an exciting thing to do yeah Yeah, that's what i like that's what's what makes me like i find those kind of things delicious that kind of everyday humanity um the conversation on the on the first train home or the conversation in the queue at greg's yeah yeah, or like you know i love that stuff it's what i write about so another thing both of us have worked over the years a fair bit with calm and save them out and obviously we've touched upon uh what i would imagine drove you to, to to work with them um what's been the the the, the process there and is it an on, on ongoing thing because calm in case anyone doesn't know is um a charity that's trying to help the the the, the epidemic of of male suicide mm. in this country and yeah, how yeah. it's just such a huge thing and such an undiscussed thing mm. um and you've put on a lot of great nights uh, with the save the male nights bringing musicians and poets and shows and all sorts of things together to raise awareness of this so how's that all been and how's it all oh it's amazing um calm well i lost my brother four years ago and a friend of mine jack rook um Mm -hmm. he was already working with the charity because he um he had kind of recognized this yeah like you say epidemic about young men taking their lives it's it's the biggest cause it's the number one Cause of death for males from I think sixteen to forty-five. Yeah. It's just got, the statistics have just gone up, unfortunately. Um, so the, the bracket has, has widened. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's, it's the leading cause of death in men between sixteen and, and fifty now, I think. But um, crazy. yeah, so he knew of the charity, and then and and I had no idea about it, and then he told me about it because I obviously had had personal experience mm-hmm. and they were tiny. I went to their offices a few weeks after my brother died just because I felt this real urge to just do something. I yeah. needed to channel some energy into something positive. Um, and there was like 
like six of them sitting around this tiny little office yeah. and I was like this is the biggest killer of young men in the in the UK like bigger than car accidents and bigger than you know like illnesses drugs and drugs else, and anything yeah. and there's like these six like amazing people just sitting around being like hey Let's and me and Jack were just this. like what can we do um and like obviously I'm a performer Jack's a performer and we have access to a wealth of amazing performers that mm-hmm. are our friends and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends and stuff and we thought well we'll just put on nights we'll just put on nights to raise awareness um because also the key message of um the nights that we put on is that creativity in all of its forms can be massively conducive to positive mental well-being i think yeah. like i only need I, I mean i know you prob- you probably agree with me on that one well i'm yeah. pretty much sure Completely, that you agree yeah. with me on that yeah, one yeah, writing something down making a song about it throwing some paint on a canvas taking a walk cooking something just something that's giving yourself that time yeah. to channel how you're feeling in a kind of creative productive way i just think yeah it, it, it allows you to articulate and discuss a topic that people might be scared to ask you about That's or right. talk to you about yeah, and people yeah. might not want to i mean when you've lost a family member people are going to be quite rightfully and and and, and nicely uh concerned for you or mm. or careful over what topics they bring up or what they say and a lot of the time you just want to talk about stuff. Yeah, you yeah. you want to discuss this or discuss this person or this that, and through artistic means you, you can do all of that without someone having to ask you, without yeah. have someone having to say, "Oh, what do you think about this?" or "How do you feel here?" or "Here," yeah. you can just go, "I don't I need yeah. someone to ask. I'm this just going to write." Yeah, exactly. This is it. And then again, the beauty of the internet and the, the 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 growing spoken word scene is you can then go and perform that risk free in front mm. of strangers mm-hmm. if you wish. You can invite friends and family that it will mean more to along, but yeah. the fact is you can go and do it without any pressure and you yeah. can get all these feelings out and express it and that's... that's yeah, and it's that safe kind of form of like, this is art, but it doesn't make it any less true, does it? Yeah. And it's like, I speak a lot about how people deal with the kind of awkwardness of bereavement. Yeah. I speak a lot about that, about that in my show. Yeah. Um, and although it's just me standing on stage for an hour talking, it is an exchange because sure. the audience are there and they're consuming it. Yeah. And so in that way, you're together in that shared space tackling a really fucking big and intimidating subject. Completely. The loss of somebody and, by suicide, which is enormous. And the beauty there is, again, there's, there's I can't remember a show I've ever seen that hasn't ended with people walking out discussing it yeah so whilst it may feel at some point that it's a it's a one-way conversation yeah. it's not as you said yeah. the audience are taking it in and then they're probably then discussing that yeah, with others yeah. and it's this and sh- ongoing change and sending it you know sending it further afield yeah. telling a friend of a friend so so the nights that me and jack run are framed within that performance setting because sure. like we've just said we think that creative expression can allow you to to deal with certain feelings and to tackle certain subjects so we just we invite people down to perform they all give their time for free we've had amazing people do it you know we've just we've we've been at festival they always let us have a a slot at festival on the amphitheater stage and last the last time we did it we had this huge crowd reaching out into the trees must have been about 500 people um and we had like mark grist and who else we had like harry baker and then Michael Payne came down and did some music Amazing. for us. Jordan from Rizzle Kicks, yeah. who you've had on your had podcast on, yeah, before, yeah, yeah. Um, he's like massively part of it and, and always helps us and always lend his talent to performing. Um, 
yeah, we've had so many people do it. And yeah, at best of the last time I was there with that huge audience, I was like running around giving badges with calm on to everybody. So everyone yeah, went away, even this, if yeah, they were off their face yeah. and didn't listen to the poetry or the music or the comedy or whatever, they went away with a badge that said calm and they might to, yeah. look it up. So we've just been in Edinburgh. We'd had three nights at the Underbelly doing yeah. um, Save the Mail and we had Josie Long, um, who like kind of headlined it for us. Um, as well as some other amazing people, too many to list. But that had a really good response. Um, And then we're planning another big London show. So it's... It's it's like it's what I feel I can do to help the yeah. charity, and it's what I really enjoy doing. And and Jack's amazing. He kind of does all the hosting. He's so yeah. much better at it than me. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, we'll wrap things up. Oh, we're going to end on a poem. But mm. um, before we do, where can people keep up to date on stuff that you're doing and on Save the Mail stuff and mm. all this kind of thing? What's the best? Well, you points? can. Um, for in terms of my stuff, um, I'm up at um, the Cheltenham Literature Festival as one of their guest curators in October. So I'll be doing my show, Finding Home, as well as some activity around this whole idea of um, kind of creativity as a means to talk about mental health and suicide. Yeah. So I've got a panel um, panel discussion with um, Tim Grayburn, who's Bryony Kimmings' partner. They made a show called Fake It Till You Make It, and it right. was all about his depression. Wow. And I've also got Matthew Todd, who um, is a, uh, a writer who sort of deals with LGBTQ issues. Um, and then I'll be do- teaching a workshop. And in terms of like finding out other gigs and bits and bobs and stuff that you can come to, I've got cecilianapp.com and at cecilianapp on Twitter. Uh, I'm hoping to tour Finding Home next year. Yeah. I might do a bit more development on it. Um, but yeah, we, we've got a few dates booked in in kind of early 2017. And Save the Mail, I'm always going on about it on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but if you want to check out Calm, it's the calmzone.net. Yeah. Um, and there, yeah, check them out. They're a wicked charity. Well, that's perfect. Thank you very much. And yeah, what would you like to kind of end on? Oh, this is a new poem. It's about, uh, I guess it's about sort of looking for mother figures in in everything um it's about like you know when you fall in love with someone but you kind of fall in love with their mum like a bit more than you fall (laughs) in love with them and then you're like they're like oh do you want to go nando's and you're like yeah but what's your mum doing can she come too and they're like that's really strange (laughs) that you've developed a weird obsession with my mum uh but it's called mothers sandpaper hands rub tobacco from the table She throws weightless complaints about the mess he makes. Nails, chipped, red. Rings smooth her skin. Hands, dense, large yet feminine. I tell her, sit down. She's done a night shift again. And I'm in her son's shirt like a second skin. My thighs stick to her kitchen chairs. I'm breathing in laundry smell, coconut yogurt, spices and cigarette smoke. I'm holding my tea to my chest by the stripes of morning that the blinds allow me to see. I've left him sleeping. I always found it hard to sleep anyways. I wonder if I smell of him. If she can smell new love on my breath, I know she wouldn't mind if she heard us anyways. I woke to her lifting her body from her bed early to crawl for coffee and I followed down the corridor. I knew she'd want the company and I was keen to put the world to rights with her before her boy had even blinked open his eyes. I liked it there, in that flat 
with the quotes by Maya Angelou taped to the fridge, her half a spliff in the ashtray from the previous night's untangling, the vinyl of Sly and the Family Stone, how she made music grow in that small flat and the chat about whether there'll be another Lauren Hill. She never really unpacked, though she was there for years. Shoeboxes threatened the ceiling, stacked with photos of him as a baby. I would ask her to thumb through them, tell me names and places like it would bring me closer to him, like she was, part of the fold of his spine and his eyes, even though they were a different colour to hers. You have the same shaped ankles, I once said to her raised eyebrows. Is that all we share, she said. I don't know, never letting an argument go. She tells me he has a Libra moon in his star sign and that's probably why we get on so well. She tells me of Florence, of Arizona, of life on the road, of Portobello, of guns in glove compartments. You need to write a book, I say. Your stories are like endless rooms. I'm working on it, she says. I tell her I used to be scared of her. Laugh. She reaches for the jam jar by the sink. It's full of lipsticks, like her car is, like her cutlery drawer and her coat pockets are, and she paints it to her lips even though she's still in her pyjamas because she can't feel safe without it. Years later, when I first saw her cry, she'd wipe tears with fists and apologise for being silly, reach instinctively for whatever shade first came to her wanting hand, lighting her cigarette straight from the hob, this Halsden haven, this mother, just one of many mothers in the world. I've sought them all my life, mother figures. Mothers on buses, mothers adjusting daughters' plaits, mothers waving, mothers at train stations, mothers on the streets or on balconies of crowded flats holding their children to their chests like piles of laundry, mothers sheltering their families from the rain, the mothers of the men I love, the mothers of the men who find it difficult to love. Looking for myself within the structures of their chests, I am incapable of leaving them. I'm not sure I know how to love anything the way that she loves him. Her son is scared of what my love might do to him. There in that morning I felt alive with the ignorance of what was to come, happy with the knowledge he was sleeping on the other side of the wall, that she was allowing me into this sacred space, this morning like an unlit grate waiting for the day to settle in, this temple. I raised my chin to her words, I washed my feet and I stepped inside. She tells me he's seen her at her worst, how he'd buy paper bags for her in case of panic attacks when he was just 13, when the bills piled up, when she packed him in her car and drove him away from his father. Her stories are riptides, they pull me in even deeper. She asks me to stay for lunch, but it's not a question. Scrooge Picks Discretion Pieces.
There we go. That was part two. I hope you've enjoyed this two-parter. Um, I'm really pleased with to get everyone on there. Obviously, there's more people I would have loved to have had on, but um, I, was, I was really pleased to get these guys on, have a chat, push them out there, and let you all hear it. Um, I'll be back n- next week as ever. I've got some amazing guests coming up. I'm telling you. By the time this goes out, I will have recorded the next two weeks' episodes, um, and the the lineup is strong. But as I'm recording this intro, I haven't recorded them, so I don't want to make any promises to you just yet in case anything falls through. But yeah, good stuff to come, I promise you. Thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe and rate and all that kind of thing. In fact, damn, I haven't. It's been a few weeks since I mentioned my book. Get the Distraction Pieces podcast book from Amazon, from Waterstones, from SpeechAvelamaRecords.com. You will love it. It will be your favourite thing. I swear. Um, also check out the other podcast on the Distraction Pieces net- Network. S- Say Why to Drugs is just blowing up. It's becoming the biggest podcast on the network. It's going to eclipse me one day. It's going to eclipse the Distraction Pieces podcast, and I'm going to be insanely proud, um, as well as a tiny bit je- jealous. Tuesday Night Jaw is the best pro uh podcast in the world. Um, a wonderful episode with Zach Gibson uh, last week speaking about his stories about going over to wrestling China are just absolute gold. There's there's very little talk about wrestling on that episode. Um, so, so even if you're not a wrestling fan, I recommend you check that out. Tuesday Night Jaw uh, meets Zach Gibson. And Stop and Search. I mean, a huge episode last week with some horrific stuff going on in the world. Uh, beautifully addressed and beautifully um, d- discussed and debated. So yeah, check them out. Thank you for tuning in. Until next week, I shall see you soon. Ta-ra.